<laughs> You're listening to the Winnebus.net Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, it is 82 degrees at our destination in Austin, Texas. We'll be landing in a matter of seconds where you'll hear from your hosts, Joe and Chris. There's something on the wing. Don't worry about that, sir. That's fine. There's nothing on the wing. No, but it's moving. No, it's just, that's normal. It's fine. I think it. Have a bag of peanuts. I think it, I think it might be beer. It's no, there's no beer on the wing. That's hold on. That does kind of look like beer. That's what, ca- ca- Captain? I'm going to go out and drink it. Look I'm at, going out and drink no, it. No, don't open up. The- This is Chris. And I'm Joe. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. Well, actually, we don't have that much stuff to talk about this week. We have a goodly amount. We're trying to reduce the size of these a bit, you know, because like... That we were too girthy. Fast. Too they, girthy, you know. Girthy. We trying were stretching it around. Make the show much. shorter and and uh, um, uh, more rapid in their deployment. And punchy. Mm. So, before we get started, of course, as usual, I know you long-timers are tired of hearing this, but you know what? Suck it up, Buttercup. Exactly. Please click on the Amazon links. They're on the actual digital digital noise page. If you click on those, you order the movie that we're talking about, they will send you to the Amazon page where if you buy it, we get a kickback. Or, in fact, if you buy anything, as long as you start from one of our links on Amazon, we get a kickback from it. That does make a huge difference. It makes a very huge difference because I actually hijacked that. So if you guys buy enough, Amazon sends me a gold car. What? Yeah. A gold car? Haven't you noticed you haven't been getting money lately? <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I knew something had gone wrong. I thought people just hated us now. Yeah, no, it's going to be a Geo Metro, though. The other thing is, please become a subscriber. That is the number one way you can support oneofus.net. Not only do you get a bunch of bonus stuff on there, but in fact, what you're really doing is just showing support for all the stuff we do on oneofus.net. It's how the site keeps going more than anything else. There's four different levels of subscriptions, each with its own bonus stuff that comes with it. I'm trying to add more and more just added a now daily thing on uh the brown coat subscribers where we do little videos or sometimes just me talking about stuff sometimes mm-hmm. i'm doing a let's get to know the people at one of us and it'll get goofier from there as i'm like uh i don't have anything solid so let's just do something fucked up let's yeah go to a strip club what can chris put up his butt today <laughs> no we'll not be doing that oh i mean well, I, might, I mean i'll be doing that i might talk about it okay i'm not gonna show them the x-rays well then what's what's the point of video that's a good point. <laughs> Hadn't really considered that aspect. I'll have to revisit this whole Chris put stuff up his butt segment. Yeah, let's take another crack at it. <laughs> oh, I see what you did yeah, there. Yeah, I'll show myself out. <laughs> I'd appreciate it. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, uh, as uh, as well, just for you guys who haven't liked it yet on uh, Facebook, our Facebook page, I've been doing on weekdays the Daily One of Us, which shows all the TV episodes that are... I think worthy of viewing that are coming out that day. All mm-hmm. the new stuff that's coming out that day on Netflix, Hulu, uh, Shutter, um, Amazon Prime, a list of all the video games that are released, to the Blu-rays that are released, and then just a little bit of geek history, interesting things that happened that day. Like uh, biting heads off a of chicken's kind of geek, or no, no, because like, that's pretty cool too. N- no, there's not. That would be a very limited list of things. I couldn't find a website that was like things that happened in Carnival Geek history this day. No. Nobody's actually done that yet. Thanks a lot, internet. <laughs> anyway, without any further ado, let's do the reviews. Review. Hmm. Reviews. <laughs> Reviews. You may have beaten me to that one. Uh, let's get started. There's one you did not get to see, so I'm going to get it out of the way real fast. It was one of those. Uh, I got a huge stack of, like, frou-frou foreign movies from mm-hmm. from Arrow, who does both amazing, like, horror, hard-to-find stuff. They do, like, oh, they do all kinds of stuff, and they always do a great job with it. But one of the things they do I'm not always as crazy about <laughs> is some of their really obscure foreign film stuff. Yeah. Now, there's a couple on this week's show that were actually pretty damn g- cool that are worth talking about. And this is the ones that, after I watched it, I was like, okay, that was, in fact pretty damn cool and that movie is called the assassin or uh assassin which i guess just means the killer Pizza I, pie. I, th- I assume that translates to the killer not the assassin right uh yeah it's yeah i think so or the double parker uh this was the film debut of uh elio petri who is one of those people a lot of a lot of folks who really love uh italian crime cinema kind of 
say, well, why is this not one of the guys whose name is mentioned as prominently as some of the other people from the same period? And honestly, I had previously covered uh, one of his films before that I that came out of nowhere for me called Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion came out in 1970 that I was like, man, this shit is great. You got to see this. And that is definitely one of his more highly regarded films. This film, The Assassin, is kind of looked at as like, I don't know, the zero issue of that series. Okay. You know, kind of like a, it's related in, in terms of So it's not like origin theme. stories or nothing. No, it's not like a like in the same universe or anything. We're just in theme. The idea here is the great Marcello Mastriani is one of the great, all-time uh, great uh, Italian actors. Plays a guy. He's just a businessman. I'm just a simple businessman. When he finds out that um, that well, the police show up and go like, yeah, this chick you've been sleeping with for a while is kind of like a patron lady to you was murdered, and you look like the prime suspect. Why would you? Why would you be killing your like your sugar mama? Well, that's kind of the question here because the guy's kind of like, this is ridiculous. There is nothing I would have to gain by killing this woman. In fact, exactly the opposite. And there's a lot of stuff that you could see from the outside look suspicious, like like she was already married to somebody. She was married to somebody else. I figured that. Uh, he was having. Even though he was sleeping with her, he was having an affair with a much younger woman. I mean, is it an affair? But that's the thing is, as it turns out, it really wasn't. Because as it goes along, they're like, yeah, she actually encouraged him to go ahead. Because she was much older than him. And she's like, look, you need to, this has been fun and all, but you need to go find somebody. It's a little five and seven action. Yeah, exactly. And the whole thing is done in a kind of Rashomon sort of style as he's being interrogated by the police who get more and more fascist as it goes along really brought to mind that that documentary recently Amanda uh, uh, something from Netflix the girl in Italy who was just railroaded oh yeah yeah I was like wow this is a they they haven't changed much of the way they do business (laughs) Uh, as it goes along and he's talking we kind of see flashbacks of what actually had happened and some of them are more uh, what's the word for an unreliable narrator than not? Than not. Mm-hmm. And you kind of piece together the crimes that goes along. Interestingly, the guy who plays the main cop's name is Palumbo. And about <laughs> two years later, the character Columbo suddenly showed up. So he's like, uh, a prego, uh, <laughs> This is actually a really solid film. It's really well directed, really well written. Obviously, with Marcello Mastroianni in here, it's, re- it's really well performed. Um, I, I got to recommend this. It's a, it's a fascinating look at a guy who kind of pioneered this format of mm-hmm. like, a, you know, the long interview with the flashbacks to stuff in crime, like the, the interstitial flashbacks. Nobody had really done that before this film. And it's kind of and yet it's kind of been underrated throughout history it's like only hardcore film scholars even tend to know about it so so were there scenes of them uh shining a very bright light in his face yes there were okay although actually the funny thing is that there really wasn't there's a scene where he sits down the bright lights in his face and the cop immediately takes a light and turns it and puts it on himself instead and you're like well that was weird (laughs) you wanted to look spooky uh anyway there's uh introduction by pasquale iannone who's a uh big film scholar who takes a look at the place of Petri and the history of film. And then there is uh, Tonino Guerrera, a poet in the movies, which is about an hour long interview with the writer who uh, collaborated on a who's who of Italian cinema, looking at Petri with Fellini, De Sica and Antonioni, which is split up into chapters. So one of those like, Oh, this is a great little primer on the great Italian directors of the sixties. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Well worth your time. All right, so moving to stuff you actually did see, and one that I suspect is probably your pick of the week. Actually, it is. And that is We Are X. I was so disappointed to see this was not about the Los Angeles band. And I was so glad it wasn't. Because that's like one of my favorite bands of all time. And that's one of my not. (laughs) And this is one of your favorite bands of all time. It is. This band, this one is about the Japanese X, and and after hearing them, I'm like, yep, that's the last time I'm ever going to listen to this band. (laughs) Oh, man, Sarah's going to hate you so bad. Aw, don't make Sarah hate me. Well, yeah. I don't have to. Oh, fair enough. I mean, it's not a lack of talent, to be sure. These guys are enormously talented, clearly. I mean, they are considered kind of a national treasure in Japan. Well, it's one of those things where the documentary takes a lot of steps to try to try to establish an idea of just how monumentally huge these guys are. And it and it doesn't quite punch it through. Like, these, these guys basically revolutionized uh, metal and and hard rock music uh, in Japan and that had ripples all throughout East Asia. Yeah, they kind of and brought glam metal to 
Well, yeah, yeah. like visual K is 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 what the 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 hard term for it, but it's it's really kind of like uh, uh, in in college uh, during one of my graduate classes, I, I took a Japanese civilization course where my thesis was that the the the, the true. Um, inherent Japanese trait is that they're able to assimilate other cultures and then extrapolate on very logical steps to such a far removed degree that it looks like farce, but it's not. And that's essentially what they did with punk. Like they, they took punk, they turned it up, made it super heavy. And then they, 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 they considered their visual aspect as much a part of the art as anything else. Well, and this is kind of, you know, it, it feels less like punk to me than like, like I said, that weird, that weird late period glam metal mixed with like the symphonic metal that's kind of like even big right now in America. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it's kind of like when uh, you know the Misfits happened and then Samoin or Samhain, however you want to say it, uh, <laughs> you know, and then and then Danzig went into you know being motherfucking Danzig. You know, it, it had its punk roots in the way that it just kind of like sure. evolved, but it sounded like metal. Right, that's what I'm saying. Is like it, it evolved in, in kind of like a, a separate branch, but it, it had a punk root to well, it. Punk and metal have always been closely tied together, and many bands have gone back and forth between the two over time, uh, as opposed to my band X, which goes back and forth from country. Just saying. No. <laughs> anyway, yeah, this is this band. In fact, originally just called X because of the LA band had to change their name to, to X Japan. Japan. Yep, <laughs> which is probably why you don't like my band X. Yeah, because when I when I was a teenager, I'd go to Best Buy and it'd be like. Oh hey, uh, uh, mm, no, that's not it. <laughs> this is these guys are wild, man. They were like w- the most insane hair and outfits, like where it really looks like they're anime characters, you know? Oh yeah, I mean, just hugely exaggerated. And then you listen to them, and you're like, you know, for symphonic metal, which is largely what this is more than anything, it sounds more like it sounds a lot like the American bands that probably followed more in their wake than anything else. That yeah. sort of symphonic metal. It's very orchestral. It's kind of almost pretty. <laughs> well, uh, the, the the founder uh, was a classically trained musician, so yeah. he. I mean, <laughs> you can't not notice Yoshiki? that. Mm-hmm. Yoshiki, who who uh, since has been like given awards by the the. the country of japan like as like being this important part of their culture and history and like played a thing for the prime minister of japan for the emperor for the emperor of japan yeah like wow that's crazy these guys these insane haircuts but what makes this film kind of interesting above and beyond that this place they have in history is just these guys have kind of a tragic story as oh yeah it's it's all trash can all the way down (laughs) man should people die and you know people get into huge fights one guy joins a crazy fucking cult oh yeah toshi their their lead singer uh like i had always heard like oh toshi went crazy uh and never really knew what happened and it doesn't go super deep into it, but it certainly gives you a lot more insight. Like, man, he got seduced by a lady. Yeah, it felt like to some extent, hey, if you want to talk to this guy, you're going to have to just kind of dance around the outside of the dangerousness of this cult, you know. <laughs> and yeah, it was his, his, his lady, the one who who apparently premeditated got him into this and pulled him away from being part of the band. Yeah, I think it was kind of like a taxing woman's return. Which, but watching the, <laughs> watching how big these guys really are, watching the crowds who are just like, like Beatles level. Yeah, fanatical. dudes can't even go to the beach without being harassed. <laughs> it's it's really bizarre to watch, and even like them talking to some American rock stars who are like, these guys are the greatest band in the world. Yeah, you know. I mean, admittedly, you got to look who's saying like Gene Simmons. You're like, well, whatever. Gene. But I, I mean, I, I gotta I gotta give Gene props. Like he was very honest because he he basically put them above Kiss. Yeah, well, I, I would too, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> I, somebody's gonna get mad, but sorry, Kiss had some good songs, but come on. <laughs> Anyway, there's a lot of extra features on this thing. There's a director commentary that looks like, why did they even choose to make this documentary as well? And how did it come together? Uh, A few deleted scenes, a bunch of deleted interviews. uh, Yoshiki talking specifically on the documentary after having seen it. uh, Saying, like, wow, that was kind of startling to sit through. Uh, He's a sensitive guy. And the whole selection, because there's a thing towards the end where you're watching the last live performance they did. And then you can listen to... Basically, the whole rest of the performance. If you oh no no you can't. You can, I have the last live, and it's like oh, three so, hours long. Okay, well you listen to like <laughs> another six or seven songs that are on the extra features, which is like oh that's pretty cool. Um, and then there's a fan video to the song "Born to Be Free" that goes. Yeah, don't worry about that. Not so good. No, don't worry about that. 
and and that song they did for Saw Five. Don't worry about that. All right, fair enough. <laughs> um, so part of the thing uh, kind of documents how Yoshiki uh, is just a monstrous drummer, and it's literally tearing his body apart. Just got word two days ago. He did tear his body apart, and so he's going in for major reconstructive surgery. It's not for the first time either. No, but this one, this one could be like it could be it. Yeah, that was I, you watch this, and during the wait, I mean, even like in the midway through this career, they're like, "You're lucky you can even move your <laughs> yeah. arms, dude. You need <laughs> to stop. You need to not do that anymore." <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "I can't do that." So. I got the music in me, pops. Yeah, plus, he's probably making ridiculous amounts oh, of cash. Yes. So, oh yeah, just sick cash. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as, as it seems clear, these guys are not unwealthy. The weirdest part of this whole thing for me is when Stan Lee shows up. And I was like, Stan Lee? <laughs> hey, is true pretender. anywhere you won't make a cameo? Remember when I taught you Japanese? Because <laughs> like, they were working with them at one point and doing putting them in comic books. Which was, yeah, yeah, the Yoshiki comic book, yeah, which, which I did not know about, and I'm glad I didn't. Uh, which, uh, obviously, that's probably why they brought Gene, Gene Simmons. He's like, yeah, I got a thing or two to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> Since there was, in fact, a Kiss comic book. Uh, anyway, let's move on to another Arrow film, and this is one I also did enjoy, uh, maybe not as much as I did The Assassin, but it's a really fascinating sort of note in history. The history of the Django films are so weird, mm-hmm. because the original one, Django, which was really, like, I mean, there was already a whole series of sort of knockoffs to compete with the big boy, Sergio Leone, you right. know, and... None of them were particularly all that great. There's a few minor standouts, but then there was Django, which Motherfucking was Django. badass. And like, I mean, like it literally ends with this guy, like, you know, in, uh, up against impossible odds. And the whole film, he's been dragging this coffin behind him the whole way ever he goes. You're like, that's so weird and cool. You're always like, well, I wonder what's in the coffin. Well, you find out at the end when he opens it up and it's a huge fucking Gatlin gun. <laughs> and he just takes out hundreds of dudes with it. And you're like, okay. Now, to be fair, this happens in pretty much every Django film towards the end of it. Yeah. It's kind of the running. It's a Django movie because he ends up pulling out a Gatling gun out of his ass and shooting everybody <laughs> with it. This is one, no exception. Now, there's actually only one um, other Django film with the actor Franco Nero who played Django. And that didn't even come out till the 1980s. Whoa. Way after. He was much older. It was, it, was, it was sort of after there had already been like 50 other Django films. Old Django. That are... Not really connected. Some of them didn't even have Django in them. Eh. Or Django was like a completely wildly different character. But this one, Django Prepare a Coffin, is the actual intended to be proper sequel to Django. Although instead of Franco Nero, you have the also really great Terrence Hill. Very orange Terrence Hill. Well, Terrence Hill, actually, this was one of his first big films. And one of the reasons he got the role is because he just looks so goddamn much like (laughs) Franco Nero. And it started a great career for the guy. He was a handsome, steel-jawed, icy blue-eyed guy. piercing eyes. Yeah, exactly. He was great in this thing. I mean, it's... It's another, it's not that different really from the previous Django film, except here he's like the hangman. He gets paid to come to towns and hang people who are Mm. waiting in the prison. And he's apparently set up a deal with these guys being hanged where he's got a a thing that keeps them from dying. And then he makes off with them. So he's forming a gang on the side to do his own thing. You know, just because. But uh, things go terribly wrong with that is the gang turn on him and they turn on each other and yada yada there's lots of villains in this thing to be clear <laughs> they're kind of villains coming out of your ass in this movie well that way when you shoot them in the face nobody cries well it's like that's it that's partly partially so he can keep killing them and there's always more <laughs> villains <laughs> um, but you know the, the main thing is him and his relationship between one of these people he saved this mexican guy and on the whole, this works. I mean, it's not like one of the all-time great westerns, but if you like the original Django, I'd say this is definitely it's fun. It's fun, Rob. Yeah, and w- once again, when it gets to the point with him pulling out the gun, you're like, okay, that was worth the price <laughs> of admission because that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's even got the audio quality of I don't know um, a paper sack. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can do to fix that, considering how it was filmed at the time. But it looked but pretty. It did. It did look very pretty. Um, this is. Arrow, as I said, so there's an eight-minute uh, Django Explained, which is which is kind of essential. You should maybe even watch this before you watch the movie, which kind of gives you an overview of, like, where this took place in the chronology of mm. what may or may not be the Django chronology. <laughs> the Django-verse. Surprisingly, there's not a lot more than that. You would think you could do an easy full-length movie just on the history of Django films. Yeah. There's so many of them. But they didn't have an intern to put together. I guess not on this one. But I, I gotta say the my problem with Django is ever since that Bob's Burgers episode came out where he and Gene watched Banjo 
which is basically just a, a knockoff of Django. Mm. I can't hear Django without thinking banjo. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right, now, uh, one uh, one more arrow for you, and this is Kaltiki, the immortal monster. Now, this is one of those sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel oh, ones. Yes. Um, I'm not going to say it's not amusing in its own way, although really not till the second half when they finally show the monster, which is basically looks like they took a bunch of towels and covered them with like muddy water (laughs) and then put like some sticks under it to move them around. Muddy waters is like, don't associate me with that. But there it's, it's the blob for all extents and purposes, just with a Aztec alien monster background uh, with like a bunch of archaeologists for money who discover this thing and then accidentally bring part of it back to civilization. And then it comes to life and starts taking out the town. I mean, once it gets to where at that point, it's like, okay, this is kind of fun to watch and goofy in its goofy way. The really, the only reason anyone would pull this thing out is because it technically is a very early Mario Bava film, who of course is one of the all time great Italian suspense <laughs> well, you wouldn't. He was technically technically second AD, but apparently he completely took over the film at some point. But there's still no one really knows when that point was. So there's lots of <laughs> arguing among hardcore Bava scholars. Are like, which stuff did he direct, and which stuff did uh, R- Ricardo Freda, who was does not have as uh, as important a career, <laughs> which parts did he do? I mean, it's just a one of those. If people really want to see all the big monster movies, this is one of them, and interesting because it's all in Spanish. Otherwise, I would say don't bava. <laughs> uh, see no, seriously, I didn't there. care for it. No, I mean it's one of those like like you would more expect to see this on the Mystery Science Theater lineup than you would like just to sit down and watch it straight through. Yeah, um, it's it's a curiosity point in history, just that a minor footnote in the history of a really important director. So I get why somebody was like, eventually we're going to put something put this out. But man, they put together a lot of stuff for this thing. Um, Got a better treatment than Django. <laughs> yeah, two different commentaries. A piece from Quatermass to Caltiki because this definitely resembles the British film, the uh, uh, the Quatermass films for sure. You know, alien from space that kind of won't stop growing and is kind of blobbish. And yeah, I've known people like that. <laughs> There's a thing called a full aperture version, which is an hour and 17 minutes long. Uh, which has a bunch of text information as a prelude to the film. Uh, and then there's a bunch of archival features from a previous thing on here, including interviews and commentary. Uh, I mean, it's, it seems like a lot of shit to put together for a film that no one remembered. <laughs> but hey, what are you going to do? All right, so let's go into a film that actually won an Academy Award this year. Sure did. And that is The Salesman. Now, this is by Asghar Fahadi, who is a, uh, a, uh, let's see, a Iranian film director who re- has already received a Golden Globe Award and two Academy Awards for Best Foreign Language Film. He well, look at you, it, Mr. Fancy. He won it for A Separation in 2012, which was definitely received quite well across the entire world. Uh, he's also was listed as one of the 100 most influential people in the world by Time Magazine in 2012. And this, for my money, I thought was a much better film than A Separation, which I thought was... I mean, they both, the films kind of drag, but oh boy, that one really. Uh, I didn't sob that one. Um, This one is one of those, it gets better as it goes along movies. You know, you're like, at first I was like, okay, where is this? Is something going to (laughs) happen? And it has the feeling like this is going to be scary, but it never really goes into scary. You know, it's like tense. Um, Emad and Rana play a married couple uh, who both are working in the theater. They're putting on a production of Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller. Uh, Emad playing Willie Loman and Rana playing Linda. Um, They, they, you know, they're also sort of directing and doing the whole thing. He's also, Emad's also a teacher at the local school. Uh, One night, they're literally, their apartment building collapses pretty much. So it's like, gotta go, gotta go. They're like, yeah, we should probably go. This is the problem. We don't have to deal with this much here in America. But (laughs) apparently in Iran, it's not uncommon. (laughs) Um, And so they they flee the building with everyone else. Um, A fellow actor gets another apartment for them where a previous female tenant has just moved out of it. And they're like, look, I tried to... You know, her stuff is still here. We're going to put it away in one room. But just so you know, I mean, that's part of it. We were trying to get her to come get it. And that's all fine, right? But uh, the problem is one day um, Rana is in the house and somebody comes in and physically assaults her mm-hmm. and and rapes her. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're all like, what the fuck? And they start getting into trying to figure out who was this woman and find out she was a prostitute. And... 
it turns into sort of like a tense thing, like how, what is the right way for Emad to deal with this thing once he actually finds out who did it and that this guy is not really somebody, you know, he's not some big jockey guy or mustache twirling villain dude you're just like wow what is the right scenario to deal yeah, with this situation I, I mean that's it, it was obviously the, the the choice of the writer and director to to make but it was all about oh poor me this dude my wife got all messed up uh what am i to do about it and it was less about her yeah, it became it, it, to him. It became all about him, and he stopped right. listening to what she actually wanted. Yeah, and so I mean, like <laughs> you know, there's there's uh, there's a lot of dynamic, and I feel like there's a lot of cultural uh, mores that I'm just not informed enough about to to fully appreciate. Because a lot of it was just like, why the hell are you acting like this on on all accounts? <laughs> you know, it's just like I don't I don't get these decisions that are being made. Yeah, um, there's definitely comparisons b- between like these characters and uh, Linda and Willie Lohman to be sure, which is on the nose. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? It's right there in front of you. Um, lots of symbolism, of course, with the, the crumbling buildings, which did the director says to him that stood for their relationship, which was already starting to come fall apart at that point. Mm-hmm. And then even further, once this thing happened and, uh, and he also said that the works of Sartre and Ibsen, Ibsen really, um, uh, were important to him when thinking about this movie. But I really do think this is one, it's a quiet movie, but it's really worth sort of like letting yourself get absorbed in. I found it fascinating. And I wonder if I watch it again years from now, if I'll get something different from it. Possibly. There's a lot of layers to this thing and it's smarter than I am (laughs) (laughs) to be fair. Um, Like, but a lot of things are, that's not all that weird of a thing to say. Um, Definitely worth watching for sure. This director is one worth following. Um, there is only one featurette on here. It's about 15 minutes long, uh, talking to the filmmaker about discussing the process of making the film, which you really probably want to watch after it's over because you're kind of left with a sort of, that was interesting, but I didn't completely understand what it was trying to say to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I also had a hard time because the, the main character looked like Persian Ron Livingston to me. He kind of does. <laughs> uh, he's the same guy from a separation as well, apparently. Oh, so. okay. Um, who I guess, if I remember correctly, he wasn't going to do this. He was going over to do like a comedy in America or something and then decided to come back and do this instead. Anyway, you know, it's, it is what it is. There's a reason it won best, uh, foreign film. It deserved it. It's a great movie, but it wasn't the film that should have won this year. Which one should have? Uh, is that one we reviewed? And now I'm blanking on the name of it, but that was really Terry Gilliamish about the God's daughter who comes down to earth. Oh, I don't, I don't remember that one. Maybe it was with Marco. I don't remember. Anyway, let's move on to one that we'll just talk about briefly because honestly, we reviewed this. Back- oh, I did. I do. I remember which one you talked about. Yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> okay never go. mind the, the New Testament. Uh, the, yeah, the brand new Testament. Um, this next film is a re-release of the 2009 DC animated film Wonder Woman, which honestly was at that point one of the best films that they had put out. So oh, really? Far. And everyone was really surprised because, quite frankly. DC never seemed to take Wonder Woman very seriously. No, not really. I mean, they pretty much did. The only time they ever did anything good with her is when she was doing stuff with Batman and Superman. Mm-hmm. Right? And this one, you're like, it is kind of more or less Batman and Superman less. Um, it follows, you know, the origin story of Wonder Woman, you know. And the reason this is getting re-released is quite evident because there's <laughs> the big movie coming out. They're desperate for people to go see Carrie Russell voiced Wonder Woman and Nathan Fillion knocked it out of the park here as Steve Trevor, her, the human military guy. So do you think, do you think Chris Pine can uh, step up to, to Nathan Fillion's daddy boots? No one can step up to Nathan Fillion's daddy boots. Not even Nathan Fillion. Not anymore. Wow. <laughs> uh, Alfred Molina is Aries. Rosario Dawson is Artemis. Uh, Oliver Platt is Hades. Virginia Madsen is Hippolyta. Uh, John, John DiMaggio is just being crazy. As Deimos and Homeless Man. <laughs> uh, uh, Jason Miller as Thrax, who I believe went on to play Batman in these things at some point. I uh, could be wrong. But anyway, um, yeah, this is uh, a pretty solid and extremely violent like, I mean, literally, she murders the fuck out of people. Oh, I want to see it. Thing. I mean, it's because they were going with the new 52 kind of Wonder, more Wonder Woman style where, you know, she's got a sword now. And mm. she, you know, I mean, she's first so like, okay, I don't, I don't want to take do shit to you if I don't have to. <laughs> and they're like, bring it. And she's like, all right. Head gets chopped off. Sorry, you asked for it. Literally, Told it, yeah. Yeah. And, and there is some pretty funny stuff with the with the uh, the, the gold lasso. Ooh. Like, Steve Driver's kind of a... 
inappropriate man. Mm-mm-mm. Can't do that. And uh, there's a point where they're in the plane and he just starts going, it's just because I obviously never really learned how to communicate with my mother. And honestly, everything inside, these things I say, they just come from a sense of failure in myself. And he goes, wait a minute. And he looks down and his foot is sitting in the lasso. <laughs> he's like, fuck. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. You jerk. But there's also some stuff that's funny. It's only a few years back, but that seems now on rewatching it kind of inappropriate. Like they're talking in a bar and he starts talking about like to, to her uh, – Stuff like, uh, man, why do bitches always choose the bad boys? And she basically agrees with them. And you're like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, this is still actually pretty solid. I, as far as I can tell, they didn't do anything to change to commemorate the movie it. itself. The only real thing they did uh, is they took off the the episodes of Wonder Woman from other shows. You know, like these things always have that in the bonus features. Mm, like, Here's yeah. an episode from Wonder Woman from a TV show. And they added a brand new sh- documentary featurette. About the history of Wonder Woman called What Makes a Wonder Woman is 10 minutes long. Just an overview, uh, including a lot of uh, people who've worked on it, and, uh, like Patty Jenkins, Jenkins uh, Gal Gadot is in it, um, the uh, Lauren Montgomery who directed this, stuff like that. Um, and then the sneak peek from Batman Harley Quinn. Honestly, I mean, it brings th- uh, the, the other uh, features back. I mean, it's an okay extra features pa- package. It could be better, but it is a solid DC film, it's just not worth a double dip if you already have it. No, man. Sorry. Anyway, let's move on to what is clearly the best film we're going to talk about today. I don't know. I think there's another contender for best film. (laughs) The next three movies we're going to talk about are the contenders for best film. Yeah, they're going to duke it out in the octagon. (laughs) And the first one is Rings. Oh, boy. This being the uh, third American film in the Rings series. It was The Ring, which was fucking great. Ring 2, which fucking wasn't. Right. (laughs) And then this one, years and years later, Rings, um, which I actually had thought started with a pretty solid idea and then just decided to remake the first movie. No, it it said, hey, uh, Ring 2, hold my beer. Yeah. Well, I like this better than Ring 2. That's faint praise. Ring 2 is just boring (laughs) as fuck. At least this actually has, like, starts with something kind of cool. Like, I mean, it begins with, like, Samara coming out on an airplane and killing people. (laughs) Yeah, that was fun. That's insane. It's like (laughs) Samara's on a plane. Well, it's like, hey, man, they didn't watch it. Now you're killing everybody. That's rude. That is rude. Go back to your hole. But, like, go to the idea, like, this, all right, so we, I, I did a theatrical review for this, so just real briefly here. Um, this uh, guy, uh, Johnny Galecki from, from Big, uh, Big Bang Theory, is a college professor. He finds an old VCR. Uh, he discovers a videotape inside. Flash from there to seeing this girl, Julia, who uh, sees her boyfriend off to college. Uh, that's, uh, Ma- what's her name? Uh, Matilda Lutz saying her, uh, her, what is the boyfriend's name again here? I'm the sorry. boring folks. white guy. Holt, which is the most white dude name. Uh, like I said, boring white guy. <laughs> Alex Rowe. Uh, and then it flashes to a little bit later, and he hasn't been getting in touch with her. She's trying to figure out what's going on. So she goes there, and she finds out that this college professor and the dumbest white guy move of all time has decided to study the tape by intentionally infecting college students. And then if you remember from the first one, if you show someone else the tape, they get infected and then you get a, a pass. Yeah. Right. Well, like, I mean, he's a biologist, sir. Okay. <laughs> but it's weird. They never, cause I thought it follows did a neat thing based on that same idea, except it changed it where, yeah, you can do that. But once they die, it goes back to you again, <laughs> and they, which they never really make clear what the rules how what the rules are with that in this series. Mm-hmm. But so he's got this huge secret laboratory where everyone's studying the tape frame by frame, and all these people are infected, and and which is kind of interesting. Like, okay, where are you going to go with that? That's kind of cool. And they had another interesting level where she, the girl uh, girlfriend Julia, so as to keep her boyfriend from dying chooses to knowing what would happen watch the tape herself to buy him some time because he's right on the edge and when they try and do the thing where she copies it makes a digital copy of it so she can show it to somebody else it won't copy and they're like whoa this is weird this file's much bigger than the normal file classic osx somehow there is a whole nother ring film encoded within the ring film that now they have to watch and look at for clues and suddenly it's a remake of the first ring oh my gosh where they just do the exact same shit the first movie did <laughs> We're like oh come on i mean at best 
we have like a kind of mildly fun performance by Vincent D'Onofrio in the third act here. Yeah, that's kind of the highlight is him just being a gross person. Yeah, he is a very <laughs> gross person in this. I mean, it's like trying to think, oh, we're increasing, including we're, we're expanding the mythology. But you're also you start to expand the mythology. But then when you get to that point where you're like, oh, now we have enough information to just remake the first movie. It's like, well, you technically you're adding more information, but it's not terribly necessary. No. Like, I prefer if you go back to, I mean, if you call it rings, I'd like to see a thing where shit, suddenly all of America just got infected. Or, you know? or like, there's a different well girl who fights the original well girl. Oh, there, battle there, it there out. is one movie like that. It's called Samara versus Katako. Or Kayako. Kayako, is that her name? It's no. basically the ring versus the grudge. Oh, that's awesome. It is awesome. It's on Shutter. You should watch it. I, I, maybe I will. I, I saw it at Fantastic Fest expecting it to just be the worst thing ever and then it's like the best of the ring movies by like a sizable margin nice <laughs> it's so good uh because it's just like fuck it these guys are gonna duke it out <laughs> it's like let's have let's speed it up now that the, the ring kills people in two days can't be waiting a week we need people to die <laughs> anyway yeah so did you think this was just atrocious yeah i did just unwatchably atrocious or funny atrocious unwatchably it wasn't it wasn't bad enough to be funny I, I Like I said, as a big fan of the original Ring and a big fan of some of the Japanese films, I enjoyed it on a certain level. But there's no denying that it's not a good movie. You know what would have been a really interesting premise? Is if Johnny Galecki played a professor who had a completely respectful and professional relationship with all of his students. And that would have been interesting. It would have been so great. And realistic. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff on here that was like, wait a minute. what? Like, there's a girl who, like... Is one of the the college students who's been doing this as a big part of this project, and for some reason she only has an hour left. And it's like, if y'all are all doing this project right, you should all be fine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there should be other people dying, right? So I'm not clear on how that you got into this situation. There's a lot of moments that you're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> but you know, what are you going to do? A uh, few featurettes on here, uh, including a look back at the original film to try and look at how it got here, how digital technology has changed the way they do stuff, how Samara has changed in the way they make her look, um, how she's different coming through a flat screen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The cast talking about horror movies in general, uh, 18 minutes and 40 seconds of deleted extended alternative scenes, which is a lot. Yeah, I could do without that. Um, yeah, the weird thing is I'm going to end up keeping this because I'm just a collector. You, ha- you got it. I, I actually tried to get rid of Sadako 3D, which is like the last Japanese film they made before Sadako versus Kaiko. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's bad. <laughs> and and it's, I think they brought back the original ring director for it. But I was keeping it for a while because it was kind of that collector thing. I was like, man, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to watch this again. Tried to put it in the big box stuff to give away. And Courtney's like, but you have all the other ones. So she wouldn't let me get it. Like, God damn it. She has what I have, only worse. <laughs> she must have watched the videotape. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. All right, let's move on to a film that I would say is definitely worse than Rings. Oh, man, it's a tough fight. It, it is. But, <laughs> and this is another series that whereas I don't think there's an honestly great movie in the Resident Evil series. <laughs> yeah. There's one that is honestly fun. Which one's the fun one? The first one. Oh, okay. Yeah, the first one's pretty damn fun. Yeah. And there's diminishing returns from there. <laughs> but, like... I've watched them all. Well, I hadn't seen Apocalypto, so I don't know if maybe like it was better. <laughs> it's all right. So the last two are the only two that, in the Resident Evil series that I think are just like have almost nothing to make it worthwhile to watch. Mm-hmm. They're just they're so they're at the point of ridiculously bad where even I'm like, okay, I can't I'm having trouble enjoying this. The ones before that all have a, enough fun that I'm like, okay, this is dumb as shit, but I'm kind of having a good time with it anyway. <laughs> Um, the last, these last two, wow. Maybe it just, I got older, uh, you know, and I'm like my, my taste changed, but man, poor Allie Larder. First off. Yeah. Oh man. I was glad to see her. <laughs> well, know? sure. Got work. But, yeah. But you mm. know, uh, this is Resident Evil, the final chapter, another film we actually reviewed theatrically. And, um, I regretted seeing paying for, to see this in the theater. Cause God knows they didn't screen it for press. <laughs> I'm surprised they set the Blu-ray out for press. I mean, this is for completists only. As far as I'm concerned. Super duper completist. I mean, it's more of the same. I would try and tell you what the plot is, but I have no fucking idea what the plot is. The best I can give you is, for some fucking reason, the Red Queen, remember her? The little girl thing, CG thing from the first movie and just popped up every once in a while throughout, has suddenly decided she doesn't want to kill everyone and is now helping Alice. Okay, so basically the, the, the premise is, 
uh, almost everybody on Earth dead, and almost everybody a goddamn clone. Yeah, like the end. <laughs> well, it's this is like this series feels like what would have happened if the Samuel Jackson's like evil plot in the King, Kingsman had worked. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's the same thing. It's the same exact plot. When we get to it, it's like, whoa, our supervillain, that was his whole thing. Except, you know, they had the added bonus of not just having like just total aggression rage, but they actually died and became zombies. But mm-hmm. same difference, <laughs> right? Yeah. And meanwhile, all the rich and wealthy are like socked away, waiting to reclaim the world. This thing is like. For a series that's been repeatedly ridiculous, this thing takes it to levels that where it just contradicts itself constantly, not just within the other rest of the series, but just within the same film. So, uh, I don't remember. Uh, spoilies, guys. Um, did did they blow up all the people that were, were stored? I think so. I can't remember. Because if there's 4,000 people left on Earth, still having a few hundred as breeding stock, even if they were baddies, kind yeah. of important. Kind of important, you'd think. <laughs> you'd think. I don't know. I mean, it, this, it tries to bring back a lo- lot of the characters from before, but it also does it through, oh, now they're clones. Everybody's a fucking clone now yeah. in the series. Like, anybody can come back because they're probably a clone. And apparently they didn't have, like, VHS copy syndrome, like third and fourth generation clones. Right, there's no, there's no uh, uh, was that Michael Keaton movie, multiplicity yeah. thing going on. <laughs> Would have loved to have seen a really dumb Michelle Rodriguez, you know, <laughs> like, just walking into a wall over and over again. I mean, it does, uh, I'll give him credit, like, uh, Paul W.S. Anderson, he really does try to hit notes that are familiar from the previous movies and do callbacks from the previous movies. But this plot is just like the most unsatisfying wrap up to a series like maybe ever. Yeah, <laughs> it was just fairly awful. It really is. I mean, it's it it's his eyes have always been bigger than his stomach in terms of like what he's trying to accomplish, building a world, mm. setting up effects shots and everything. But, you know, if you, if you like the rest of the series, you're going to watch this anyway. You know you are. Just prepare to be disappointed. It really is. I think the I, – I didn't think maybe it was as bad as the previous one before it, but it's pretty close. It's a close fight. Um, I, I, I would have a hard time – I mean, if you got past the last one, you're like, well, you know, it wasn't that bad. Then, yeah, go ahead and watch this. Other than that, only if you're really drunk. And even, you know, nothing will help you understand this. No, just get shit snookered. Yeah. You're not going to understand it any better stone cold sober or really coked up or anything than you will if you were completely wasted. Because it doesn't make much sense at all. Tons of bonus features. Like, there always are, strangely, for Resident Evil films on home releases. Never quite sure why that they put so much on this. Um uh, there is one of those sort of picture-in-picture thing called Retaliation Mode. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, featuring Paul W.S. Anderson and Mila Jovovich, who apparently are um, uh, really right. still into each other. And they it's not really picture-in-picture because picture literally the movie just stops and expands to a bigger screen and they talk for a while and then it goes back to the movie. That's annoying. Yeah, I never watch those things because I'm like, what a fucking pain in the ass that would be. <laughs> Uh, there's a special on stunts and weaponry. There's a thing, Explore the Hive, that looks goes back to the original locations. Um, the Badass Trinity and wo- the Woman of Resident Evil. You know, it is what it is. And then a sneak peek at the new animated film coming out, which those tend to be better than these live-action ones. They have to be. Uh, Resident Evil Vendetta, which I'm looking forward to checking out. Vendetta. Vendetta. All right. And let's move on to another film that of these three is definitely, I would say, is the best. Oh, hell yeah. Three. But it's still oh, not yeah. a good movie. You were actually on the theatrical review for this one, if I remember. No, I wasn't. Oh, were you not? I thought no, you were. No, okay. I, I wanted to be. Okay, I thought you were. This is Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, or Triple X 3, if you will. Or as I like to call it, Don Toretto can smile. Yeah, I guess he can. <laughs> or or Triple X we're pretty much just make trying to make this into another Fast and the Furious franchise. I'm, I'm going to say it right now. Just get it out of the way. This is what Furious 8 should have been. This is the level of stupid that I go to these movies for. I, man, I guess part of the problem here is how badly this thing was pushing to try and change the whole basic premise of this series. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just make it identical to Fast and the Furious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's trying so hard. It's like... So now, like a Vincent Toretto, not Vincent Toretto, goddammit. Xander uh, Cage. Xander Cage, uh, played by, of course, uh, Vin Diesel. 
he's been off for a while doing his own thing. He wasn't even in the second film. That was Ice Cube, uh, who does, in fact, yes, Darius Stone finally make a cameo in this film. Oh, when he showed up, I was like, I bet the theater erupted during that screening when he when he showed up. Not really. Oh, it should have. They sort of was like, there's a couple people like, <laughs> woo. <laughs> well, you're getting the acting prowess of Cube, man. Like, <laughs> but you're, you're seeing like like – like the, the idea is that the the big weapon is called Pandora's box, which makes satellites crash, and you can use them as a weapon to like launch satellites, like take them over and launch them. It mm-hmm. seems like limited usefulness, but you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so they are like, oh shit! They actually killed the main guy, uh, Samuel Jackson. Was it Samuel Jackson? Yeah, yep. Samuel Jackson. While he was interviewing a new Triple X dude, and um, so they're like, fuck, we're we're out of operatives. We gotta we gotta go. Uh, Track down Xander Cage, who's doing cool skateboard stuff in the jungle. Yeah, he's, he's mountain doing it up. And helping the native people. <laughs> That's right. He's a hero to the Ninos and the Ninetas. I swear to God, my eyes are rolling so hard at the, the way they're setting in that whole thing. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Like, the old man, he's like the nicest dude on earth. Well, when, when, when the, the opening montage is happening, I was like, okay, so we got the little kids yelling his name. Now an old lady has to applaud as he goes by. And yep, sure enough, it happens. Well, they try and set him up with a bunch of military grunts who are like, what is this guy? Asshole. And he's like, I won't, I don't want them. I want my own team. Enter the beginning of let's just make this into the Fast and the Furious film as yeah. they introduce a bunch of characters who will become, who by the end of this film are like literally, they're literally calling them family. And I mean, no, no, sir, no, no, no. In Fast and the Furious, it is all about family. In Triple X, uh, X takes care of its own. So they're totally different things. Okay. Totally different. But, I mean, you get some cool people with that. Like, I thought Ruby Rose actually showed remarkable skills in this. She has a great scene where she's doing this. Uh, it's like an old circus bit where you, like, wrapped in cloth and you sort of reel yeah, fast. Yeah, she, she was doing aerial herself. dancing. So she was doing that while shooting people. And it was like, dude, that was badass. Like, she's kind of cool. Um, and then Donnie Yen, who, oh, of course, by definition. And he's actually pretty cool in this as well. Some of the others Nina I Bob- did not Deborah. understand. Yeah, I, there's other people I'm like, okay, you're okay. I don't hate you, but uh, – and then Tony Collette is the new contact. I one. loved how much she shit all over that screen. What, like what she, she, just, she called in for a sick day every time she, she was on She set. really looked like she wanted to be there less than anything in yes, the world. Yes. She was so disinterested. As, I mean just – like the Fast and Furious films partially were because of how great that chemistry is between all those characters. Mm-hmm. If that I, I'm not going to throw out the possibility that could happen with the, these films. They will un, almost certainly make more of them, I suspect. Oh, I hope Tyrese comes in. I mean, this was $85 million budget. It made $346 million. I suspect that means they're going to make more of them. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe if they get that chemistry going. I mean, half of me wonders if the only reason this movie happened at all is because Vin Diesel was just pissed off at The Rock. Good night. <laughs> it's like, I'm tired of working with that fucker. Yeah. I, I got an extra three months. Let's do this. I, I don't know, if you know how true any of those rumors are that they can't uh, stand now, but you, know, you never know. Um, yeah, I, I, like honestly, the high point for me for this was just when Ice Cube showed up, and nobody even likes the second film. This is <laughs> terrible, and I was still like, "Woo, it's Ice Cube!" I ca- I would have liked this so much better if it was Ice Cube and Vin Diesel the whole fucking time. Well, I'm sure that'll be the next one. Well, I mean, he'll be part of the team. And it's, well, I mean, it's going to be like a, a road trip movie in the GTO. Oh yeah, Tony Jaa is in this too. I did not like how they used Tony Jaa. Well, they didn't. The one of the problem here is they didn't film the fights very well. So. Well, they didn't. But also, they're like, hey, dude, act like a spaz. Yeah. Yeah. He's supposed to be this total spaz. And you're like, really, Tony? Well, I guess he's kind of played that role before in some of the, the, the uh, Indonesian films. But, yeah, but... But even so, it feels disrespectful somehow. A little bit. I don't know. I didn't particularly care for this movie. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, it's better than Rings and Resident Evil. And I didn't not care for it enough that I won't go see the next one. I loved it so much, I watched it twice. You did not. I did, too. You watched it twice? Yep. Holy I, was, I was like, okay, bring this stupid on. And I'm it did. He asked me, hey, I'm going to keep We Are X, which he probably didn't watch twice, but doesn't even mention Triple X. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say no. You can keep this one if you want. I ain't yes. going to watch it again. Um, bunch of special features on here. Third time's the charms and a returns, uh, which just takes a look at, at Vin Diesel going, yeah, okay, I'll take a paycheck. Um <laughs> Rebels, Tyrants, and Ghosts, the cast, assembling the film's new international cast, because there's a lot of people from all over the world who are part of I, the I honestly family. appreciated that. I did, too. Yeah. Because, uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember her name, 
but Indian actress lady. Yeah, who's great. Oh, yeah, super She's great. She's va-va-voom. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, opening Pandora's box on location, which looks at all the sets and shooting locations. Uh, I live for this shit. Stunts. <laughs> 15 minutes, which you would hope it would be at least 15 minutes, even though it's the shortest of the featurettes, that take a look at how they did some of the stunts. I'm still very skeptical about the motorcycle on water thing. Cause I, I, oh, that was hilariously... That, that's, that's actually what won me over. See, I was like, this is stupid. I called it out like bullshit. And it turns out there actually is a motorcycle that can do that. But not probably on huge waves. And it probably doesn't auto-transform. No. It does not. <laughs> but somebody like immediately forwarded me this series of YouTube stuff that was like, no, look, it is real. There really is a thing. But when you look at it, it's on still water. Mm-hmm. It's not going ridiculously fast. You're like, okay, so it's a motorcycle can go on water, but it's it cannot dive through. I was going to say go underwater and, 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 and not get flooded. Yeah, can't go underwater and come back up again. Can't do any of that shit. Uh, and there's a two-minute gag reel. Man, I would like an hour-long gag reel that comes with every Vin Diesel movie because you'd think there would be that much. So one of the things that they, they kept pointing out, like, oh, Xander Cage, his muscles are so big. <laughs> but after uh, after being in, what, three movies with The Rock? Nah. I mean, I mean, they're good, like more bigger guns than I got. But, sure, but next but, when he stands next yeah. to the rock, they're always kind of like, dude, you maybe you should go to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> Have you thought about steroids? <laughs> no, no, no. Besides, the rock's going to be president soon, so I hope so. That's a, yeah, that's what he says. Everyone's like, cool, the rock. I'd vote for him. It's like, guys, he's a Republican. Yeah, it's we not going to be great. We don't know yet what he stands for because he won't talk about it. It could be really, really <laughs> bad. <laughs> Anyway, uh, that actually brings us to the end of me and Joe on Digital Noise. Yep. I recorded a little segment earlier this week with the guys who are part of our new animation crew that got a chance. <laughs> I say got a chance. I forced them to watch the animated film Rock Dog that just is out on Blu-ray. Oh, you are an asshole. I know, right? Well, hey, they're going to go see Captain Underpants in a week or so. Okay. So, which I... Every, apparently, people are anticipating in a positive way. So well, let's, let's hope. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna clip over right now to that, and that'll be the end of the show. With listening to these guys, uh, if you have any comments, please leave them for us because we want to know how we could make things better. Uh, stuff you really want to hear us review that's coming out. Maybe we could find a way to to get it. Um, anyway, thank you, Joe. Yeah, you're welcome. Don't forget to become a subscriber. God, okay, I, tell I you. won't. No, you're you're fine. Okay, everybody else out there. Assuming there is anyone. Hello? Hello? Is this thing on? And to wrap up this week's digital noise, uh, I'm going to talk to two guys who aren't in the room for the rest of this and obviously recorded at a different time. I'm talking about Jordan and Joseph, the the, uh, J.J. Walker dynamite over here, (laughs) like our new uh, animation crew on the site who will be reviewing uh, primarily the theatrical releases and the VOD releases of animated films. But I figured we'd start them out with a home release of a movie we did not actually cover when it came out. So now we'll get to hear what they have to say about it now that it's uh, coming out on Blu-ray. And that movie is Rock Dog. You guys take it away. This was certainly a movie. Um, that's, that's about as best I can say about it. I kind of want to sing a song about it being mediocre, but I don't have the tune to even carry it, much like the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I think that'd be a One Direction comeback. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, no, this... Uh, so what yeah. is it about? Okay, so the basic premise of the story is you've got, you know, the... The kid whose dad is the uh, head guard of a big snow-top village, think kind of Kung Fu Panda, you know, valley, small amount of people. All of them are sheep. All of them are dumb as hell. Um, They're literally sheep? They are literally, yeah. And, yeah, they act like it as how you would assume stereotypically sheep to act, I guess. I don't know. I'm trying not to be a sheep racist, I guess. (laughs) Um, But Didn't Zootopia teach you anything? (laughs) I know. I I try not to judge. He did sound a little sheepish when he was trying to get to You just couldn't let that one. Mm. I could not. Mm -hmm. It was against the law. Uh, Of course, yes. Must always say the pun. Anyway, so he is the son of the head honcho guard dog, and they're both mastiffs, you know, classic, you know, Chinese guard dog and all that. Um, And, well, he really doesn't, you know, want to do his dad's job. That old classic story of the dad's trying to groom him to take over his position. He doesn't want to. He wants to play music. Um, and then, you know, magical radio falls out of a plane, lands right next to him. He hears a song from the uh, kind of, I don't know, Mick Jagger-esque style rock uh, legend that's apparently, you know, just in a vi- in like a, a city that's right down on the bottom of the mountain. Okay. He's never been to. 
Um, so his dad, you know, he realizes, okay, I, I can't get you to do this without you just getting this out of your system. When you fail, come back here and we'll just get this all set straight. It's basically how he words it. Like, you know, when you fail, <laughs> just give it up forever and come back. Sounds like a dad, all right. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Uh, Real lover. It's very much this film was like a bunch of different films just mashed together, but with like not even a complete story. Cause it's like, we got elements of Kung Fu Panda mm-hmm. with this whole mystical martial arts training to protect a village. We got the standard like musical story. So there, what? it is a musical? Yeah. Uh, not quite. So. A little it's bit of singing? An animated movie that doesn't know whether it wants to be a musical or follow its story and then just have musical elements into yeah. it. Like, there's, there's even, like, a point in the very beginning where it's, like, has to be, like, a footloose town that he's in. His dad's, like, forbids all music from the entire city for their Because protection. it's too distracting and they need to keep their eyes peeled for the wolves. Um, which... Yeah. Yeah, and they even did the Kung Fu Panda thing where they have the, you know, 2D, you know, kind of set up for why the village is this way, you know, narrated by Sam Elliott, which, you know, he's just playing his character from Big Lebowski as a yak. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or more or less like the rooster from uh, the Disney Robin Hood film. Like, that's very much it. He breaks the fourth wall as he narrates the story to people. Mm -hmm. While still being in the story. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, the whole thing just kind of, in the second act, just... Does a full flip up. He's in the city, and then he's just trying to get a hold of you know the rock legend dude who lives there, who's a complete recluse, recluse and a total asshole, played by Eddie Izzard. Which, god damn it, man! It's it's one of those things. It's like his curse. Every animated movie where he's done a voice, it's just not gone well. It's Eddie like Eddie Izzard choose. doesn't make great choices, no, and, which is a shame because he's in an mm-hmm. enormous town. Yeah, it's only every once in a while he lucks out and is actually in something where like, oh wow, that was great. Like, when he was on Hannibal, you're like, oh, yeah. you're on something that's actually good. I don't believe it. But then he's on, like, Powers, and you're like, what are you doing on Powers? Yeah. <laughs> oh, what if God. it's all a mind game that he's pulling? It's like, they can't <laughs> always expect me to be in good stuff. <laughs> that's a yes. pretty deep I'll fail game he's playing. so long, and then they'll never expect you to succeed again. So, well, you got Luke Wilson is playing the main character. Luke Wilson is the main character, Bodie, the dog. Because uh, they his... couldn't get his older brother, I mean, his brother Owen, yeah, right, above obviously. the pay grade. But they could still afford J.K. Simmons. Lewis Black, Eddie Izzard, and it's just like, you guys had all this talent, and it's no shortage of any of them, but they're just not really given much to do. It's it's literally right. trying to throw way too much into one box that they can't decide where they even want to kind of, you know, really set, like, all their chips in this movie. Like, you know, part of it's a musical, part of it's coming of age, part of it's, you know, a mentor being an asshole, and then realizing, oh, no way, you know, I can't just... You know, take all this kid's talent and use it for my own ends. And it just, it, it all falls a little flat because nothing is given its due amount of time to really give you that full first, second, third act structure of a solid story to where you feel for the characters, you understand why they are, where they are, mm-hmm. and then it all comes to a solid conclusion with good closure. I mean, the, even the, the climax of the movie where it's just like, Okay, uh, you know, with the with the actual protecting of the village, his dad does it by a kung fu style called uh, what was it? The Mastiff Paw. Yeah, like the <laughs> Mastiff Paw or something like that, where he basically just you know iron fist style, you know, punches and throws, uh, you know, hadouken at people pretty much. <laughs> and and he can't do this for shit. But then you know when he learns to kind of channel his music, oh, then he can do you know a kind of you know that peaceful Zen moment of the paw to where it's. <laughs> It's like a lamer version of the conclusion of Kung Pao or like no, yeah, Kung, Kung Fu, Fu Hustle. Hustle. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it just falls so far. So it borrows yeah. heavily from a lot of people, but doesn't do anything yeah. as good as the Yeah. Uh, it's it like less than the sum of its parts. All right. So if I was going to say to you, like on the three tier scale rating, first uh, one being laughs, uh, one being animation quality, and uh, one being quality of actual just story how mm. involving it is or what would you give it from a one to five on laughs uh i would say probably a two uh like the most i ever got out of it were just slight chuckles but it's that kind of chuckles where it's like you're just just kind of spasms for a yeah, you, second you, you, like it's one of those things you're <laughs> searching for the laugh which is like okay that was funny enough i can i can chuckle at that yeah but yeah two solid rating on me is uh it's just i really wanted to find those moments because i was watching the trailer and i thought okay yeah that was funny so maybe we got more but no yeah what about ant quality of animation it's standard it's like because this was mostly a, a predominantly chinese production and it 
the animation is passable. Like, I wouldn't say yeah. it's particularly great. Particularly the thing that got me the most is whenever you see a crowd scene, there's a lot of, like, copying, pasting up a... Duplicate rigs. It, yeah. You know, they just use the same one, they put glasses on it or something right. like that, different clothes, and, oh, it's a new character, like, but you can still see it all under Yeah. I'll give it a three and a half, uh, and this might sound like damning with faint praise, but it's it's solid workman-like animation. It's just they didn't really, you know, do anything, you know, for, like, a wow factor or anything like that outside of, you know... Uh, some of the, you know, kind of magical aspects of, like, the, the Mastiff Fist or something like that. Yeah. Um, and especially this one is, it's one of those things in animation with, personally, don't do it unless you know how to do it really well. They did it early on when he first finds the radio, he hears the rock song for the first time, and everything just kind of goes into this little nebulous space where it's just him. And then you got lights and colors kind of moving around like an old screensaver from the <laughs> 90s. <laughs> Uh, you know, just trying to move to the beat of the music to kind of give you this high sense of what he's feeling like. Okay. Uh, and it it starts out okay, like, okay, this is all right, you know, get a good buildup, and then nothing. It, it completely loses the tempo and the beat of the music with the animation to where it just kind of doesn't work, yeah. and it's all just random abstract color and form just shooting out of nowhere and in and around him where it's it, you just don't really feel as connected and kind of have that sensation of, oh, this is experiencing awesome music for the first time, which is what you want to feel. It's not like that uh, like that moment in Madagascar 3, you know, with the fireworks song, where it's just mm-hmm. like, I've heard fireworks before that, I've seen Madagascar movies before that. I love the shit out of that scene yeah. in that movie. It still blows me away. Madagas- the it. fact that Madagascar 3 is as good as it is when the rest of the series is as mediocre as it is, yeah. is yeah. really a miracle. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Alright, so, uh, and finally, quality of just involvement of the plot. How, how I'm involved with you in the which plot? One? Well, you know, I mean, how much did you enjoy it as uh, the dramatic aspect? Uh, It's, sadly, I don't like to beat up on a film. It is a one for me, because it is a lot of it, like, and again, this isn't fair to bring it up, though, but, like, it's hard to devoid yourself from something like Zootopia when watching it. Well, especially so close to when it came out to when now we're watching this, not even a year later. Yeah. Uh, But, like, Zootopia had at least people that dedicated to building its world. Mm -hmm. Uh, This film, it seems like, again, like, it's some mishmash of so many different things. It doesn't... The world itself is convoluted and doesn't make sense, because the whole big villain are these wolves that want to go and eat the sheeps of the village... But yet, simultaneously in the city, there are sheeps and other animals and that could... And anything else, where, like, if you wanted to eat... And they, they have this kind of crime boss mentality to the whole wolf pack thing. They wear suits and all that, where it's just like, you know, if that was your guys' whole deal, you could... You don't have to go that far for takeout. It's right there. <laughs> yeah, or even just, like, the whole thing of, like, so this would be a town where they're just perfectly okay with wolves slaughtering an entire village if they get away with it. Like, yeah, like there's not cops yeah. saying, hey... Don't do don't that. Do that. Well, it's like yeah. one of those things. Like, okay, I mean, not to you know put too fine a point on it, but it would be like one of those things. Like, okay, here's a group of people or of one group, and then they go to this village and eat the people of another group. If you kind of follow that, where it's just like, okay, well, you could switch a few things, and instead of it being species, and you could do a few other things, and that's really fucked up. But because it's animals, we're supposed to accept that a little easier. It's just because we all eat animals. Like, yeah, fuck animals. Yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, we're in Texas, especially. Yeah. We're like, oh, yeah. oh, man, I just want some barbecue. Oh yeah, up no, there I will eat yeah. the hell out of a pig, but I ain't going to have a conversation with it beforehand. That's all no, I'm saying. No, yeah. if the pig can talk, then eating it is out of the. Yeah, know, yeah, no, I mean. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I couldn't even eat bacon around it, just, you know, yeah. staring at me with judgment. <laughs> even though it probably would. Uh, but, yeah, it, the story is just such a mess. But it's, like, never reaches a point where it's, like, offensively bad. Because I've seen some terrible, terrible-ass animated films. And this is not, not as bad as that. It's not as bad. It does not so offend... Or planes. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm reaching in you. deep for this. I am talking... I'm talking about stuff like one of the two animated Titanic films that is just oh, positively God, insulting. It's hilarious to watch with a group of friends just to tear it apart. But otherwise, that film is like straight up offensive as yeah. it is. But so this film... We're not at the point of being offensive, but it, it's certainly something you could pass and not feel bad about. Yeah, like, yeah, it's one of those things where like, if you got kids and you just want something to put on that's not going to you know make any waves or anything like that, you just want to put something in front of them to occupy them. Which you yeah. can then just put Zootopia on yeah, instead. Like, yeah, they're going to want to watch that 70 times anyway. Yeah, so, like, you know. so it, I, 
don't even think you can really recommend this to kids. This is, like, one of those various films you find at a Walmart for, like, $5 that's just a knockoff of the other more popular animated sure. films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where if you just go to the thrift store, you'll find it in the $2, you mm-hmm. know, section. Yeah. Although you can actually get it on Blu-ray, um, which comes, of course, with the DVD as well, and I believe a digital copy... Yes. And Why would you it, want to own so many copies? I don't know. Uh, it comes with a couple of few bonus features. Finding the Fire, the Making of Rock Dog featurette. Mike Check, Casting the Voices featurette. A Rockin' New World, Animating Rock Dog featurette. Rock Dog and Roll, Exploring the Music featurette. And the music video for Glorious, such as it is. Mm-hmm. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on Digital Noise. I really appreciate it. Look for more of them on the website popping up hopefully soon. Hopefully there's going to be some more animated theatrical films soon. And we'll get you guys involved with Thanks that. Uh, yep. In the meantime, thank you for listening to Digital Noise, all you guys out there. Don't forget to click on those Amazon links. That gives a kickback right back to us, and we really appreciate when you buy anything from those. And please, become a subscriber. That's the number one way to support oneofus.net and keep all the content and coming and, and more besides. We're always working on new stuff, as is evidenced by our new animation crew. Mm-hmm. Just saying. In the meantime... Thank you so much, and uh, keep watching, keep commenting, let us know what you think, and what you'd like to hear us review, because we'll do it. We're we're shameless. (laughs) One of Us.net has been your one-stop shop for all things geek for years, but there's a side to them many of you have never heard, the subscription side. Subscribe, and listen to great podcasts like The Breakfast Pub. The Original Gentleman, and the Watch a Movie With Us series. Head on over to oneofus.net and don't forget your towel.